All right, well, good morning again, and it is so good to see you. Happy New Year's. Um, and if you are a guest today, let me say a special welcome to you on what is truly a historic day in the life of our church as we will be installing our first ever set of lay elders uh, in the church, Steve Qualls and Jeff Shaver. And so at the end of the service today, uh, we will do that. So today is a great day to be here. It truly is a historic day uh, in the life of our church. Now, if you are, uh, let me kind of just make sure as we talk about elders and councils and all this, especially for those of you who maybe um, are not a Christian yet or don't have much of a background in the church or these terms are unfamiliar. I'm not talking about a galaxy far away with Jedi councils and Padawans, uh, though I'm also not knocking that. I've seen less, less Jedi twice. It was better the second time than the first time. Um, so I'm not talking about that. I'm also, when I say elders, do not think, oh, he's talking about the guys who ride mountain bikes with backpacks and they wear black pants and a white shirt and a black little tie and they show up and knock on my door and it says Elder Young or Elder Smith. Right? I'm not talking about Mormonism or anything like that. When I say elders, all right, biblically, when you see the word elder, this is referring to essentially a pastor. Okay? There are two, as I talked about a little earlier, there are two offices called out in the New Testament explicitly. The office of deacon, and those are the servants of the church, and then the office of elder or pastor or bishop or shepherd, whatever word you want to use there, all synonyms. In the Greek, it's presbyteros, episkopos, poimen, synonyms. They all mean the same thing, referring to the role of the leaders of the church. Those are elders. So deacons are servants. The leaders are elders, and they are to exist in plurality. All right, this is what you see in the New Testament. Every time you see that word, it's plural, and it's talking about one local church. So a plurality of elders in a local church. All right, that's how the New Testament calls it out. Some are paid, and some are not paid. That's what we see in the New Testament as well. First Timothy five talks about that. And so as we prepare to install our first ever lay elders in the life of our church, today is a day to celebrate. All right? It's a day also where I want to just remind all of us about the role of elders. And I want to charge Steve and Jeff in particular on what it means to be an elder and to live that out. And then I want to remind all of us as a congregation of the responsibility we have towards them and charge all of us to live that out. So we're going to begin with kind of a wide angle lens and get our foundation and our focus. And then we'll move to a zoom lens and kind of really dive in and look at all right, what our elders specifically supposed to do. So we'll start just kind of foundational who they are, what they are, what they're to do, and then real specific what they're to do. And then we'll come around and talk about the congregation as well. And so to lay that big foundation we're going to start with one verse, Hebrews 13, 17. Okay, Hebrews 13, 17, near the end of your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one around you somewhere. This is on page 10, 10. Page 10, 10, Hebrews 13, 17. And in a little while, we'll flip over a couple of pages to 1 Peter 5 that Valerie read a few minutes ago. Page 10, 16. Uh, but we will start Hebrews 13, 17, page 10, 10. This is the Word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. And so in a nutshell, we all get freaked out. Obey and submit. What? Hang with me. All right. In a nutshell, what this just said is that for the elders and the congregation to relate as the Scripture calls us to, that we need two things. One, we need elders who lead. And secondly, we need a congregation that trusts. Right? Elders who lead and a congregation that trusts. And so still, very wide angle here, elders are to lead the church. Okay, so it's not a com- the church is not a committee of the whole. Rather, God has given the gift of elders to lead the church. It is the elders' role. You guys, it is your role to help lead the church. So it's not that unlike my family. Okay? We do not function as a committee of the whole. Right? If my kids help set vision, our vision would include things like Live in Maddie and Sophia the First. Right? So we don't function that way, but rather I lead my family. Sarah and I together lead our family as a team, and we do so out of a love of God and a love for our kids. And so we want the best for our kids. All right, We want to do things for their benefit, for their advantage, and it's the same with elders. That's what it says right here. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So it's about advantage. It's about watching over your soul with love of God and love of you for your benefit, for your advantage. That's what elders are to do in the life of the church. And so really wide angle, all right, continuing to just paint with this broad brush at the beginning, an elder's role is to lead the church by keeping watch over your souls. That's what you guys are charged with. And doing this for your advantage, right? for your benefit. That's what elders do. Stephen Jeff, that's what you are to do. And so again, very broad brush right there, just kind of laying the foundation. Now let's go Bob Ross and fill in the details in our little world. So flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Page 1016, diving in, really looking closely now at the specifics. Here's what the Apostle Peter writes. And he's an apostle, he's a disciple, but notice how he calls, what he, what he, he doesn't say, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. He could have said as a fellow or as a disciple, or as an apostle, but he calls himself as a fellow pastor. I'm a pastor, and I'm exhorting all of you as fellow pastors who are reading this, and as a witness, here he says it, of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, and here's the commands. Shepherd, underline that, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This is what an elder does. So underline shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Underlying that. That's the second thing. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, 
over those in your charge. So that kind of qualifies that call of obeying and submitting. Not domineering, but being, and here's the third thing, underline this, examples to the flock. Being examples to the flock. And so Jeff and Steve and, and Chad and John and myself, this is what we are to do. Okay, this is our role. And so let me kind of frame up all that we've said thus far. Elders, as elders, we're to lead. And that leading is all about the benefit of church members' souls. And the way we benefit and watch over church members' souls is by First Peter 5 right here, shepherding the flock, exercising oversight over the flock, and being examples to the flock. That's the job description of an elder. So let's mine that out and let me charge you guys to live that out. And so first of all, brothers, you are charged as elders to feed the flock and make sure they are fed good food. Okay, we are to feed the flock. That's what shepherds do. Like when you think about a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? Shepherds feed the flock. They guard the flock. They tend the flock. They Pray for the flock. This is what Jesus calls out for us in John chapter 21 when he's restoring Peter. Feed my flock, love my flock, tend my flock, guard my flock. That's what we are to do as elders. And so first and foremost, church family, what you need from your elders, what you need from these men and Chad and John and myself is that we would feed you God's word. All right? And then... As a primary preacher, that's what you need first and foremost from me in particular, is that I would feed you God's Word, that I would love it, that I would preach it, that I would proclaim it to you, even when you don't want to hear it, especially when you don't want to hear it. And you can read good books, and you should. And you can download the greatest preachers in the world. It's such a gift that we have today, and listen to them and be encouraged and challenged by them, and you should. But... Scripturally, nothing can replace the gathering together of God's community and hearing and being fed from God's Word by one of the elders that He has put in your life to guard and watch over your soul. That can't be replaced. And so Jeff and Steve, as elders, you've got a responsibility to feed the flock. And to ensure that they are being fed good food. All right? And that there's not wolves coming in and that there's not poison disguising itself as food because you have a responsibility to guard the flock. That's the second thing that you second responsibility you have to guard the flock. Not only do you feed, but you also guard and you guard it doctrinally. You guard the flock doctrinally. And sometimes people will be like doctrine, oh doctrine. Why do we have to talk about doctrine? Short answer. You are at church. What do you think we're going to talk about? The Northeastern bomb cyclone? Racquetball? Or the fact that I hope that Alabama beats the living snot out of Georgia? As much as I get nauseous to say it, roll tide. But I am kind of nauseous right now. But truly, like at a church, you hear people say things, oh, that church is too doctrinal. That's one of the most dumb things anybody could possibly say. That's what a church does. We teach doctrine. We talk about doctrine. It's not just doctrine. There should be devotion and joy and light. But 
there's got to be grounding in doctrine and you guys are charged, along with Chad and John and I, to guard it. To guard the doctrine. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. And then he says, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Guard the doctrine. That's a role that you guys have. And folks, just on the side, where churches ceased, cease to guard the doctrine, they cease to be churches. Like where you're just like, I'll take this and I'll take this, but I'm going to leave this out. Well, there may be a gathering of humanity that mentions Jesus' name every time, but they've ceased to guard the doctrine, therefore they cease to be a church. Guard the doctrine. And so, feed the flock, guard the flock, and then tend the flock. This is what shepherds do. Like when you think about a shepherd, they tend their flock. They bandage their wounds. They look over. They take care of them. They walk them through tricky paths as they're leading them to green pastures. Sometimes they pick them up and carry them. And sometimes they have to discipline them. They've been charged. You as elders have been charged by God to watch over their souls. Because church family, just being very realistic, your relationship with Christ is never static. You're either growing in Christ, even if it's millimeter by millimeter, or you are sliding away from Christ. It's never just static. And there's a gazillion markers that I could call out for slipping away from Christ, but one of the most obvious is habitual, make sure you understand that word, habitual absenteeism from this gathering. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, right? But you also, not just the elders, but you also have a role to your brothers and sisters in Christ when you see them slipping and sliding away from Christ and maybe going into a habitual, purposeful absenteeism. And I am not talking about Someone who's homebound with sickness, they're deployed in the military, they're off at college, things. Th those are different categories, all right? There are extenuating circumstances. But I'm just talking about a purposeful, willful, blatant, unrepentant, habitual absenteeism endangers your soul. It endangers your soul. Because number one, you're out of step with the scriptures. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. That's a command. To not obey that command is to be in sin. Again, not like I'm going to go on plenty of vacations, Lord willing, this year. I hope so, right? So I hope on some Sundays I'm not going to see you guys. Love you, but I hope I don't see you on a couple of Sundays. And it's the same thing. You guys should, if you can, travel some and not be here. That's fine. But habitual, purposeful. You're just not going to be there. That endangers your soul. You're living in blatant habitual sin. And then secondly, if you're skipping out on the corporate worship of God and the feasting on His Word, it is almost guaranteed that you are skipping out on the private worship of God and feasting on His Word. They go hand in hand. And so it's dangerous. It's kind of like plucking a hot glowing coal from the fireplace and setting it over here. 
As long as they're together, that glow remains. You pull one off by its side, the glow fades really fast and it grows cool and cold. Good news is, you throw it back in, it'll heat right up. So let's make sure we're staying in the fireplace. And that's part of y'all's job as tending, is to watch over members, watch over their souls, protect them, even from themselves at times. And so that's what you've got to do. You've got to tend the flock. You've got to care for people's souls, even when they don't care for their own soul, which means you've got to know them personally. And that means congregation, you've got to let them know you personally. Know their lives, know their struggles. And where a sheep is struggling, just like a shepherd would, you help that sheep with its struggle. If they have a broken leg, spiritually, that's one thing, right? If they have a propensity to constantly be running off, well, that's a different way you've got to help them. But you tend the flock. You care. You love. Um, Sarah's been gone with Kira in Europe, and I wanted to help her, so I put up our Christmas decorations. In doing so, I realized, you know how many nativity sets we have in our house? I don't even know if you know this. Five! Like, I kept going around, and I was like, yeah, that's great. And then, like, here's another one. Here's an, and it's great. But if you look at a nativity set, they, they always have, you know, a, a shepherd almost, and they have, and he's got the little sheep on his shoulders. That's a great picture, guys. You tend the sheep. You love the sheep. At times, you carry the sheep. You take their burdens upon yourself and upon your shoulders, and you guard their souls. That's what you do as a shepherd. Care for the sheep. Love the sheep. Feed them, guard them, protect them, tend them, pray for them. All right? That's shepherding. But also, there's this call to exercise oversight. Look at 1 Peter 5 again with me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here's the commands. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, comma, exercising oversight. And then you get some qualifiers, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And we'll come back to that one. But exercising oversight. That's what you're to do. Now, what is that? What is exercising oversight? What's governance? It's leadership. It's the leadership function that we began with. Elders are to lead. But here's where I want to caution you brothers Chad and John as well, myself. Because what happens sometimes in churches around some elder boards is that they wind up doing a whole lot of governing and very little shepherding. And if we move into that place, we have moved away from what Scripture has called us to do. The governance is insofar as it relates to shepherding and caring for souls. So if we just meet on Wednesday nights and all we do is just work through and vote on operational issues and that's all we ever do, we are not eldering rightly. Let's make sure that we are caring and shepherding. Do we do those things? Yes. Do we have governing and leadership responsibilities and operational things we got to deal with? Yes. And money issues? Yes. And personnel issues? Yes. All that's part of it. But all that is insofar as it's serving to shepherd and care and watch over people's souls. Let's make sure we keep those things in proper alignment. And so govern, have oversight, but we shepherd, all right? And so shepherding the flock, 
exercising oversight in the flock, and then also elders are to serve as examples to the flock. And so you look at First Peter chapter five again, verse four, or actually no, the end of verse two. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being, now we're in verse 3, examples to the flock. This is what we're to do. We are to be examples to the flock. But you're going to blow it at times. You know how I know that? Not because, because I blow it at times, and Chad blows it, and John blows it. We're going to botch it. We're going to mess up at times. Congregation, we are going to fail you at times. We'll try not to, but please remember that yes, we're shepherds, but we're also sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We're just under shepherds, so we're also sheep. And so we're going to botch it at times, but with God's help, maybe, maybe even when we botch it, we'll have an opportunity to model and um, display what it looks like to be repentant. What it looks like to apologize and ask for forgiveness and then where we've been offended to give forgiveness. Like, again, my family. I'm called to be an example to them. I try to do that. I fail often. But I think probably some of the best ways I've taught my kids is when I get down on my knees and I tell them I am sorry. I have sinned against you. That is not what a daddy's supposed to do. That is not what your heavenly father looks like. And I'm supposed to be a picture of a father to you. And I am sorry. Please forgive me. And young parents in here and those of you who are expecting, I don't care how young your child is, when you sin in front of them or against them, apologize to them. Own it. Repent to them. Model what that looks like. What it looks like to be repentant and to ask for forgiveness. That's some of the best parenting you'll actually probably do. Now, don't be like, well, I want to be able to, you know, model that, so I'm going to go sin again. No, 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 don't, don't, don't use that as an excuse. But where you do slip and fall, let that be a redeeming function. You guys, you're challenged to do that. And so, Stephen, Jeff, this is your job, to be an example. If someone says, what does a true Christian look like? Someone should be able to point to each of you and say, they look like that. Not because you're perfect, but because you're repentant. That's what a Christian is. Constantly repenting. And so this is what elders are to do. They are to lead. Hebrews 13, 17, again, they are to watch over souls of members. And they do that by feeding, by guarding, by tending, by praying, by exercising oversight, by setting an example. This is your calling. This is your role, just as Chad's role and John's role and my role. But congregation, you have a role in this as well. You have a calling in this as well, because if the church is to function as the scriptures call us to. We have to have elders who lead, but we also have to have a congregation that trusts. And so look back at Hebrews 13, 17. That word trust isn't actually in here. And so I want to explain what I'm meaning when I say that. Look, look at, look at it. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them. Somebody's like, hey, that says leaders, not elders. How do you know that's elders? If you go back to verse 7, it talks about the men who are leading and teaching, which is an elder function. That's how we know this is elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So that first part there, obey your leaders and submit to them. All right. You'll notice I've been talking about we have to have leaders who lead and we have to have a congregation that trusts. All right. I haven't said we need to have uh, leaders who lead in a congregation that obeys, a congregation that submits. But that is clearly what the text says here. So why aren't I just saying a congregation that obeys or a congregation that submits? The reason is because I want to get at the root behind the command to obey and submit. And that root is trust. And so this command for the congregation to obey and submit to her leaders is a call to trust them. To trust Jeff, to trust Steve, to trust Chad and myself and John as a collection to trust us. We're not talking blind gullibility here or absolute blind authority. No. What this text though is talking about is in the vast, vast majority of situations and insofar as the elders are functioning biblically and leading biblically, then the congregation should follow their direction. They should obey and submit to the leaders God has put over them for their benefit for, uh, of their soul. And again, this is insofar as they are functioning biblically, meaning if we are following Christ, follow us. If we derail from that, fire us. Mark Dever sums it up well, and I'm going to quote him twice here in the next little bit. The basic attitude towards elders and pastors should be either trust them or replace them. And this trust ultimately is something that has to be given not earned. Now, I understand when people talk about trust has to be earned. I get that understanding. All right? It's the idea that in any relationship, particularly one where there's a position of authority, that there's an idea of show me your competence to lead and then I will follow you. But that attitude at best is only half true. Now, do we want our leaders in all spheres of life, particularly in the church, to be you know, men who are capable and competent and trustworthy? Yes. That's why there's qualifications on elders in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and in Titus 1. But at the same time, as I read again this week, the kind of trust that we are called to give to our fellow imperfect humans, be they family or friends, employers or government officials, and even leaders in a church, can never finally be earned. It must be given as a gift. A gift in faith, in trust, more in the God who gives than of the elders he has given. And so here's that second quote from Mark Dever. It is a serious spiritual deficiency in the church either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or to have members who are incapable of trusting. And so as individual members of the church, we must be able to thank God for the leaders He has given to us. Recognize them as gifted and trust them. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul speaks of these leaders as God's gift to the church. And so we need to receive and regard Steve and Jeff as gifts from God to the church. That's what they are. They are gifts to God, or from God to all of us, for our benefit, for our souls. And so trust them. God's given them as gifts. So trust them. Insofar as the elder board functions biblically, when we speak into your lives, follow that, heed that for the benefit of your soul. Insofar as we're functioning biblically, if we don't, get rid of us. And so we trust, we follow, all right? Hebrews 13, 13, 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. To me, that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible because of my role, because of your role. We will have to give an account to God for how we care for people's souls. And so let let that sit heavy on you. Not overly heavy so that you're like crushed and immovable, but heavy enough that it's sobering. As those who have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so to be biblical and to be what God wants us to be as a church, according to his word, we have to be a congregation that trusts, that obeys, that submits. And part of that trust is so that our elders, these two and, and the other three of us, might be able to watch over our souls with joy and not with groaning, because that would be of no advantage to us. The whole thing here is what would be beneficial to us and to our souls as we have leaders over us. But if the congregation lives in such a way that the elders are constantly grieved, they're constantly groaning, it's not helpful to the congregation. It's of no advantage to them. That's what it says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so when it says, let them do this, what is the this that it's referring? Let them do this. Let them do what? Well, it's eldering. It's keeping watch over your soul. It's leading the congregation in the ways of God. It's teaching and exhorting the congregation in the doctrines of God's word. It's living exemplary lives as living models, you know, to the congregation. And it's watching over the souls of the congregation, guarding them from deceit, from error, from sin, from worldliness. But that phrase, let them do this. Here we go, uh, English teachers, you're going to love this. This is a sub... Let me make sure I get it right, because I did really good in math and science and not so good in English when I was in college. But it's a... So I looked this up and got some help. A subjunctive verb conveying the idea of action, not just on the part of the leaders, let them do this, but also on the part of the congregation that the congregation is to respond to the elders' leadership not with neutrality, but in such a way that the elders might carry out their duties with joy and not groaning. And so notice the connection here. 
the overall effectiveness of watching over the souls of a congregation is very much connected to the overall attitude of the congregation toward the elders that God has put in their lives. Those two things are connected. Now, Stephen Jeff, I am not saying that eldering and pastoral ministry is going to always be hunky-dory. There are days that it is downright gut-wrenching and you're going to want to quit. But on the whole, on the whole, those days are there. But on the whole, it's to be a ministry of joy, of love, and a call to shepherd and tend and guard and feed. I mean, think again about the nativity set, five of which we have at our house. And that shepherd who's got the sheep on his shoulders, he's carrying that weight. It is on his shoulders. But if you look at him, he also has a smile on his face. That is what an elder is to look like. Carry the weight, but you still have a smile on your face. It's a great picture of an elder. As you continue to help people persevere in their faith for the benefit of their soul and leading them also to a joy that can't be taken from them based upon calamity or cancer or anything else. Circumstance. But is grounded and fixed in the unmovable person of Christ. This is how elders in the congregation are to relate. With love and care and joy, elders are to lead and the congregation is to trust them. And so verse 18, congregation, I would ask you, verse 18 says, pray for us. And so I would, I would, I would ask you to pray for us, to pray for Steve Qualls, to pray for Jeff Shaver, to pray for Chad Hunter, to pray for John Whitenack, to pray for myself, and to pray for one another. Uh, as we start having members meetings every other month, we will be putting out a cheap, you know, black and white little directory. Every two months you'll get a new one that's got a picture of ev- and of every single member in it, so you can go through them. A through Z, 26 letters, close to 30 days in a month. You pray for the A's, you pray for the B's, you pray for the C's, over and over, praying for the congregation. Pray for one another. Pray for one another, individually, but also corporately as a congregation, that we might all, all of us, serve Christ together with joy to the glory of God alone. Because that's the ultimate thing we're after here, is the glory of God both as elders who lead and as a congregation who trusts. And so what we're going to do now is we are going to officially uh, install Steve and Jeff. Um, And so uh, if you guys will make your way down here and face out to the congregation, uh, I'm going to lead them in some vows to you. And then I'm going to turn around to you and lead you in some vows to them. And then Chad and John and myself are going to pray over them and lay hands on them. And for those of you who are members of the church, in particular, I'd ask you just symbolically to kind of stretch out your hand uh, as you are making, uh, you know, as if you are praying over them. So I'm going to lead them in a couple of vows. And I'm going to do this individually because they are each individually making these promises to you. I'm going to start with Steve because Q comes before S. And so, Steve, 
Do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and the covenant of this church contain the truth taught in Holy Scripture? I do. Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith or the covenant, you will own, you will of your own initiative make known to the lead pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Providence Baptist Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? I have. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, as an elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? I will. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder, to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Providence Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, Jeff. Jeff, do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth taught in Holy Scripture? I do. Do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith or covenant, that you will, of your own initiative, make known to the lead pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Providence Baptist Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? I have. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, 
And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? I will. Are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Providence Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. I am. Right. And congregation, we have vows as well. So I want to ask the members of Providence Baptist Church if you'll stand for just a minute. We've already voted on these men, but this is a promise to them. Do you, the members of Providence Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive these men as elders, as gifts of Christ to this church? Will you love them and pray for them in their ministry and work together with them humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving them all due honor and support in their leadership to which the Lord has called them to the glory and honor of God. All right, you guys can be seated. We're going to pray uh, over them again. Today is really a remarkable day. It is a day we should be joyous and celebratory. It is a historic day in the life of the church. And you guys have appointed uh, and installed. We've appointed and you've approved and we are installing two exemplary men who I love dearly. I've known for years and years and years. Um, and I could not be more excited to have you guys as co-laborers, um, as co-elders here at the church. And we are just so thankful to you and to your families. Um, so thankful for you guys. And so we're going to pray for you. Um, Chad's going to begin by praying over you guys and uh, if you'll step forward, I want to be able to put my hands on both of you. Congregation, let us pray. Father, as the good, good shepherd, go before Jeff and Steve. Help them to shepherd this flock well and to do so with the heart of Christ. These men are greatly gifted and talented in many areas. And Father, we pray that You would multiply that giftedness as they oversee um, this congregation and that, that You would use them to fully enrich this body of Christ. Thank you for their willingness to serve. Father, I come. I pray for these two brothers who are very dear to my soul. I thank you so, so much for them and what you have done. Lord, thank you that you have called them to yourself first. You have saved them. But now you have placed them in this office. And Lord, I pray for their personal lives right now. Father, I pray for their jobs. 
and the balance between eldering and their full-time vocation, Lord. We pray that you would give them wisdom and strength and grace. Lord, we pray that they would make this adjustment well and that you would help the other elders here, myself included, to understand and be um, very generous to helping them make these adjustments to their time schedules. Lord, I pray for their families. Father, I pray for Ashley and Gabrielle. Lord, I pray for Lee and Ethan and Ephraim and Lizzie. We ask that you would bless them. Father, I pray that their dads, being elders, would encourage the spiritual life of their children and in no way be a detriment. Father, when there are difficult times, Lord, I pray that you would give these two men wisdom how to help and shepherd their families through that. And God, I pray that you would bless these two families richly in every way. Provide for them and care for them because of your Son. Father, I pray that you would um, care for these men's walk before you, their love of you, that they would follow you with all their heart, that they would have a love of your word and that they would consume it, um, that it would go deep into their heart and not just be knowledge, but be their very life and sustenance and it would flow um, out of them. I pray that they would be dispensers of grace, not hoarders. And Father, I pray as a congregation that you would help us to trust them. I pray that you would help the congregation to see them as every bit their pastor, as they see me or John or Chad. Father, I pray that you would help us as a, all of us as a congregation, that they might be able to lead in joy. Not with groaning. And I pray that you would give them the right balance between the burden of knowing that they're going to give an account and the gift and the joy that it is to be able to be used of you in this way. Give them humility and wisdom and just bless the socks off of them. We love you, Lord. We love these men. We're thankful for them. In Christ's name, amen.